Good morning. You guys go ahead and take a seat. Uh, welcome to Church of Bergen. My name is, uh, if you're new with us, my name is Mike McKinney. I'm the associate pastor uh, here at Church of Bergen, and uh, I get the privilege of filling in for Pastor Mike two weeks in a row, and uh, so I'm sure he'll be well rested. That hamstring will be uh, just fine once we come next Sunday, but uh, I just also want to say, if you're, you're new with us, we're, we're very glad that you're here. Uh, we're here to worship Jesus. We're here to treasure him and, and to celebrate him and to shout that he is God, that he is the one who died for our sins and, and rose again from the dead. And by trusting in him alone for our salvation, we'll be forgiven and reconciled to God and have everlasting joy with Christ forever. Uh, and so that's why we're here. And so we do that in a number of ways. We do that by singing songs that uh, center upon Jesus. We do that by preaching the Word of God every single week. We've been in the book of Psalms, and it's been a, just a wonderful study, just teaching us how to think and feel about God in everyday life. Uh, we also worship Jesus through taking the Lord's Supper every single week. Uh, it's a gift from Jesus Christ to His church, uh, through which we lay hold of Jesus with the hands of faith uh, and have our, our, our faith and our souls nourished and strengthened. Uh, with the benefits that Jesus Christ purchased for us uh, on the cross. And then lastly, we, we worship Jesus uh, by giving. Uh, we give in the, the little silver boxes on the back wall by the, by the exit doors there. Uh, and if you're new, we're not asking for your money. Uh, we want you to, to know Jesus and to, to take him. Uh, and also, if you, you're new, just started coming here, uh, we have one of these connection cards in the front, uh, in front of you, in the seat back in front of you. Just fill it out front and back. There's even a, a section on there uh, for prayer, and we actually, we actually pray for these. We actually have uh, a, an elder who takes all of them and prays specifically for them, uh, and he takes prayer very seriously, so please know. Uh, so fill that out. Give it to the info desk out in the hallway there. They would be delighted to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have uh, just about the church and ways to get connected, how to get involved. Uh, before I, I dive in, just a couple announcements. Number one is uh, membership class is July 22nd. It's going to be after the second service, the 11 o'clock service, about 1 o'clock to, to 3.30. Lunch will be provided. Uh, and when you come to this class, you're not, you're not necessarily committing to becoming a member. Even if you're just interested, you want to hear about what membership entails. Uh, we get a little bit of details like the, what the church believes in our, and what we teach, uh, as well as kind of just the, the history of the church and how we're, we're governed and we do life here at, at uh, Church of Bergen. Uh, also, just want to remind you guys every single week that we do uh, prayer uh, every Sunday right in the, in the classroom at 8.15. There's a, a small group of people that get together and pray for our time together, uh, that God would meet us, that God would encounter us, that we would come to know Jesus more. Uh, and also, the last Wednesday of every single month, uh, 7.30, we meet right here in, this, in, the, in, the corporate, in the corporate gathering, and we pray together asking for the Holy Spirit to continue to work in and through us as a church. With that said, uh, let's dive in. Let's get to the good stuff here. We're here to, to hear what God has to say. Uh, we've been in the book of Psalms uh, this summer, and as I said, it's, it's been uh, amazing just to see the ways that God is teaching through the Psalms uh, just how we are to think and feel about God and everyday life. And we've been, last week I filled in for Pastor Mike on in Psalm 100, uh, and it was kind of a call to worship. Uh, and and the, the, the week before that, Pastor Mike did Psalm 16 about finding your security and your safety in God. And then Psalm 1 was about happiness. The, the true blessed man or woman is the one who delights uh, in the law of the Lord. And, and if you notice, all these psalms have been uh, some sort of positive emotion, some sort of positive feeling or affection. And this week, I want to talk about something on the, on the negative side. Okay, last, last week I preached on Psalm 100. There was a phrase in there that said, serve the Lord with gladness. 
So we're not just to serve the Lord. We're supposed to serve him with a particular kind of heart, with a particular feeling motivating the service. We're supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord, not just singing to him, but there should be a certain emotional condition happening in the heart that motivates the singing, that's driving the singing. And I want to ask this week is, the question that I want to address is, I know that I'm not supposed to just serve the Lord, but serve him with gladness. What happens if the gladness is not there? I know that I'm supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm making some noise, but I'm not feeling a lot of joy. I know the most important commandment in all the Bible is to love the God, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What happens, pastor, when I feel no love for God? If hope is the heartbeat of my walk with Jesus, what happens if I don't feel hopeful? And frankly, what some people tragically try to do is say, well, the the feelings don't really matter. It's not really that big of a deal. Don't worry about those things. Well, then why would the Bible command me to serve the Lord with gladness? Why does they do it with a particular feeling? That's a, it's a problem. It's, it's a condition. It's a, the bigger question, the more blunt question is, what happens when I'm spiritually depressed? What happens when I'm depressed, pastor? What happens when I know that I'm supposed to love Jesus and I'm just not feeling the Lord? I'm just feeling nothing right now. I'm feeling dry. I'm feeling like I'm as, you know, Christian cliche is I'm in the desert, but people mean it though sometimes and and depression is an extremely complex issue. It's not just about whether or not you have it. It's not like a you have it or you don't. It's, it's a continuum. It's a, there are greater or lesser extremes on a continuum. And there are so many different factors that cause where you fall in that line. It's not a simple, well, this is why, or this is why. It's a number of things that come in there. And the particular kind of depression that I want to address is spiritual depression. That is a condition of the soul and the heart that feels very little, if any, joy in Christ for an extended period of time. I'm not just talking about you wake up and you kind of feel sad, but I'm talking about seasons of feeling nothing for Jesus. And I I can't say everything. I mean, this is, a, this is a really scary place to be. You feel like you are not a Christian. Sometimes you feel like you're a hypocrite. Sometimes you feel lonely and abandoned. You feel discouraged all the time. You can't even imagine there ever being a good season in your life again. I can't say everything there is to say about this issue. So before I, I dive into Psalm 43 is where we're going to be. Before I dive in, just want to recommend, commend a couple of resources to you guys. I, I, these are trusted resources. Um, and if any of these that, that I recommend a, after the sermon, if you're like, wow, what you said really resonated with me, That's, that, that describes me really well. I think that would really help me. I'd be willing to, to, to give you these, one of these resources. The first one is um, just by John Piper. It's called When I Don't Desire God. The subtitle is How to Fight for Joy. Uh, it's a pretty dense book, but it's, I highly recommend it. It gets down to deep, deep, deep. Uh, an even smaller one 
by John Piper is called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. And the subtitle is Doing What We Can While We Wait for God in Joy. And the last one uh, is, it's just a book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Its Causes and Cures. Uh, this is an excellent book. I've, I'm about halfway through it uh, myself. And uh, he just goes through all the different causes of spiritual depression, how, how to, how, how, what's the cure for each of those. So uh, if, if anything I say today, uh, and please, I would encourage you if, you, if you do want one of these, the conditions are, this is really helpful for your particular season, and you'll actually read it, okay? If you, can, if you fulfill those two conditions, I, I will be happy to, to give you these, uh, one of these resources. So that's, that's that. Let's go to Psalm uh, 43. I'm going to read it. Pray for our time together, and we will dive, dive right in. This is the word of God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time we have together. And uh, I ask that you would help me. Help me to preach um, this psalm with tenderness and, and care and clarity and compassion. Holy Spirit, help me to do it with joy. Prepare our hearts to receive your word with all eagerness, and may this be of some assistance and help to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Psalm 43 is a a picture uh, of a man who's spiritually depressed uh, and how he deals with it. And so the hope is that after this sermon, if you're going through a season of, of just intense, just you feel no joy in the Lord, feel you have zero desire for God. It, it just seems gone. It's been going like, like that for a long time. The hope is that this would equip you, help you understand what's going on and help you understand how, how, to, how to fight against it. And if you're not going through one of those seasons, praise God, praise God. I mean, please know that, that, that just because you're spiritually depressed doesn't mean that you're abnormal. That's a normal experience, for the average Christian. But if you're not going through a season right now, the hope is that this would, this would equip you so when that day does come, you know what's happening, you know what to do, you know how to handle it, how to fight against it. And so the first thing we're going to look at is just the problem. We're just going to look at the man's problem, see what's, what he's going through, and then we're going to see the goal, where should he, where, what's he, what does he need to aim for and then the solution. How do we get from the problem to the goal? What, what's going to get us there? So if you look at the verses 1 and 2, you can see the problem very clearly. This man is circumstantially oppressed. That is, things on the outside, 
His circumstances are not looking good, and they've been that way for a long time, and they hurt. Verse 1, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. And then look at the very end of verse 2. He talks about the oppression of the enemy. Things are against him. Things are attacking him. It doesn't necessarily have to be warriors and armies and battles. It could be anything. It could be Satan. It could be circumstances just falling through. It could be people, relationships. It could be things against you are attacking you, and they do not seem to let up. That not only is he circumstantially oppressed, the man is internally depressed. That is, things on the inside are betraying him. Second half of verse two, he talks about, he says, why do I go about mourning? He's in mourning. Drop your eyes down to verse five. Look at his question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. He's just, he's, it's like this, this internal, he's just secluded. He's alone in this. He's cast down within the soul. And I looked up with this word, cast down. It's like, it means like disintegrate away into the dust. He may have a soul, but it doesn't feel like it's there. We've got a good buddy in this church. I asked him from time to time, how you doing? How's your soul? He says, it's there. This man doesn't even feel like he has a soul. Why are you in turmoil within me? Within me. Turmoil, same idea of like these waves crashing around. Things are at unrest. Nothing is at peace. No contentment, only discontentment. And it's all on the inside. No one can see it, but it's there. And despite this external and internal struggle he has, he's a man of integrity. He's got a clear conscience. Listen to the language. Vindicate me. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. People are attacking him. He hasn't done anything wrong. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. These, this stuff outside is against me. I've done nothing wrong. He talks about he's being oppressed by the enemy in verse 2. So this condition of external oppression and internal depression has very little, if anything, to do with an immoral lifestyle. He doesn't have like some secret sin locked away in a box that he's hiding. This man has a clear conscience. He's standing before God who's going, I've checked myself out. I've examined myself. I've done nothing wrong. Here I am. I've... What's going on? It is possible to be living with integrity, reading your Bible, praying, loving your family, working hard at your job, and still be depressed. Spiritual depression, this doesn't always have to be an issue of repentance. I was speaking to a dear friend of mine in the church and just not too long ago, who went through a season of spiritual depression. And he said, one of the most frustrating and discouraging things for people to say is, snap out of it. Repent. What's, what's the sin in your life? What, what are you hiding? It doesn't always have to be like that. 
Sometimes the, the, the person is living with integrity. They're being faithful. And so if you are counseling someone, if you are married to someone, if you are a friend with someone who's going through this, you need ample supplies of patience and tenderness and relentless care. Just be a friend. Just be a friend. I was listening to a testimony of a guy named Tommy Nelson, who's a pretty well-known pastor, speaker, author. He went through a severe season of depression. He said one of the most stable things in his life was his wife. He said, if it wasn't for his wife, I don't know if I would have been able to make it through. His wife locked arms with him and attacked this thing head on. But it does need to be said that spiritual depression can, not always, it can be caused by secret, unconfessed sin. It can be the product of some sort of immoral lifestyle that you're keeping secret, that you have locked away, and it's hindering your capacity to enjoy Jesus. It's clogging, it's clogging the pipelines through which the living water of the gospel can even give you a drink. If you have your Bibles, hold your place in Psalm 43 and go to Psalm 32. If you don't have your Bibles, it's fine. It'll be up on the screen. And you can see the relationship between unconfessed sin and depression. Verses 3 and 4 describes his condition. Verse 5 describes how he solves the problem. Verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, that is God's hand, was heavy upon me. It was pressing down upon him. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's the condition. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I did not cover it. I did not hide it. I uncovered it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And look what he found. And he forgave the iniquity of my sin. So secret unconfessed sin is like a big, like a pressure cooker. My wife and I got one of those Instapots. Anybody got an Instapot? Things are miracle workers, man. It's like an instant, it's just pressure cookers inside. It's just all this pressure can, can't suffocating, can't breathe. And confession is what unlocks the top and releases it. This man was physically depleted because he had been carrying around secret unconfessed sin. The hand of God was heavily yet graciously pressing down upon his conscience. And the Satan is always going to tell you, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. If you tell anyone, it's going to, all the damage, just keep it quiet. What people don't know won't hurt them. That's a lie from Satan. And God is gently pressing upon you and saying there is freedom. And you're being your own worst enemy. There's freedom, there's forgiveness, there's joy, there's, you can breathe again. 
I personally, uh, uh, and my, my wife and I have been married almost 10 years now. I can't believe it. But right when we first, right around when we were, just got married, I personally went through a very long season of spiritual dryness. And it was for this reason right here. And the, when I finally came out with my wife and I told her, it was, I mean, it was the chains. The chains just fall off. And some of you, because you continue to hold it down, the chains stay there. And you're like, I don't know why. I'm just in this just dry season right now. But do not assume, though that can be a cause, that is not always the case. And you can't assume that that's always the case. But it could be that you may need to examine your heart and examine, is, is this the cause of my season of dryness right now? And typically we know. Typically there doesn't have to be a whole lot of digging around. So I would also, be, I would also caution you, some people have t- more tender consciences and you can kind of go into this dark spiral of constantly examining every single last motive of your heart. Uh, be, be careful with that. Now, the worst part of this man's condition, so he's, he's externally oppressed, he's internally depressed, he's got a clear conscience, he's not living in secret sin, he's living in some secret immoral lifestyle. The worst part of this man's condition is the fact that he trusts God, yet he feels rejected by God. Look at verse two, right in the middle. This is the heart of the man's problem. This is what makes it so unbearable, this condition that he's in. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? I take refuge in you. I've trusted in you. I've hoped in you. I've loved you. I've served you with faithfulness. What is going on with me? This is the heart of the man's problem. Let this encourage some of you. It is possible. It's a reality to be truly saved, to be cleansed of all your sins, to be united to Jesus, to be on your way, guaranteed to glory, beholding Christ forever. It's possible to be in that condition and still be depressed. Just because you are depressed does not mean that you're not a Christian. Becoming a Christian does not automatically free you from becoming depressed or becoming discouraged or becoming despondent or slipping into a season of darkness. It doesn't free you from that. In fact, it paints a big giant target on your chest for the flaming darts of Satan to be aimed at you until the day you die. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be miserable. He wants you to be in that condition, in that state. Because if he could get the whole church in that condition, then the whole world's going to look upon the church and see how miserable we are and say, well, who would ever want Christ? And so the psalmist, he has a clear conscience. Externally oppressed, internally depressed. He trusts in God, yet he feels rejected by God. And it's important to see. Notice he says, why have you rejected me? No doubt this, whoever says, probably David. He has his theological, he has his theology all right. 
He knows God will never leave him or forsake him. That's not the point. He doesn't, he's not saying that God literally has left him. He's saying it just feels like it. And so if someone is going through a season like this and they say something like that, just, just be gracious with them. God's rejected me. I mean, they may not believe that. It just comes out. And they're just describing how they feel. So where does he go from here? Right, where does he go from here? And that leads us to the goal. Here's, that's the problem. What's the goal? Where does he go? He's, he's, in this, he's in this darkness. He just, where do I look? Where, what am I aiming for? Where do I go from here? What's the destination? Tell me where to go. I need to know where to navigate. Look at verse four. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. That's the future. He's not, he's not there, but he wants to be there. That's where he wants, I will go. I'm going to go there. I want to be there. That's where I need to be. And that phrase, to God, my exceeding joy, it's literally the gladness of my joy. The, the, cell, the sun at the center of the solar system of all of my joys. So there's a lot of things in life that make me joyful, but the sun of my joy, the joy of my joys, the, the most supreme joy of all is God. And I gave, I don't know, you guys may have, remember in James 4, I gave this sermon on disordered loves and how we're supposed to have joy and love in, in, in certain things, and it's right to, to love and to find joy in things, but they're supposed to be enjoyed in the right order, and God is supposed to be number one. And the psalmist wants his joy in the Lord back to where it belongs, in the highest place. He wants his joy to be restored. Listen to Psalm 51, verse 12. Listen, this is how David puts it in Psalm 51, verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore it. It's broken. It's not there. Put it back in its place and uphold me with a willing spirit. I want a willing spirit. I don't have it. I, don't, I want to desire you. But give me the desire, Lord. Restore that in me. But with depression, it's not that you don't just have joy in God. You just don't have joy, period. There's just nothing. It's gone. And it wouldn't surprise me if he felt the same way. He feels nothing. It's gone. But he knows that he knows, though, that to look for joy in something other than God in his condition will only lead him to a deeper darkness. You may be drowning, and just because you see a life raft does not mean it's from the hand of God. It could be from Satan pulling you into a flaming pit. He wants to get to the only enduring source of lasting joy. The goal is to find our highest joy once again, not in God's stuff, but in God himself. 
to God my exceeding joy. Not to God's stuff, but to him. That's what I need. That's what I want. I don't feel him right now, but I know that that's where I need to be is with him. And look at the place where he says it's found. It's found, then I will go to the altar of God. That's where the sacrifices were made. That's where the the animals were offered. The blood was shed to find reconciliation and forgiveness with God. You notice we don't have an altar here in this ceremony? It's because there was a greater altar back on Golgotha when Jesus Christ was slain upon the cross. One time. He, He put him up on the cross a sacrifice once and for all sin. And if you could just get there, the psalmist knows, if I can just get there, if I can just get to Christ, if I could just see him once again, I know that Christ has died for me, but I want to know that Christ has died for me. Now, what's the solution? Okay, what's the solution? Before I get there, the majority of what culture will tell you if you're in a, a state of depression is that you, you just need medication. Uh, this is not a sermon on medication. Um, and I'll just briefly say something. We're not, we don't demonize medication. Uh, we praise God for doctors and the ways that they help us. Uh, for example, it's not a sin or a lack of faith in God to take ibuprofen for a swollen ankle. Thank God. I praise God for that. And I know that some of you have found um, that you have taken the, 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 all the necessary steps with the help of a trusted counselor and friend, and you have gotten to the place where you feel like medication has been the, the, just, just the place to, to get you to a state of normalcy so that you can even read your Bible. And you found a lot of help there. alleviating you from your, from your depression, from your suffering. And with that said, uh, the pastoral challenge and the pastoral concern is that medication might become, might, might, might become for someone the sole basis of their confidence and hope. Uh, if you are on antidepressant antidepressant medication or thinking about it and you've taken the necessary uh, preliminary steps to get to that point with a trusted counselor, the only encouragement is that you would still continue to fight with others to maintain your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might remain preeminent in your life. So let's look together at the way in which this man looks to the Lord for help. So verses one through two are the problem. Verse four is the goal, and sandwiched in between in verse three is the solution. The solution's in verse three. Back to Psalm 43, here we go. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. That is your light and your truth. Let your light and your truth lead me. Let them, what? Your light and your truth bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. First word in verse four, then 
I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Then I will go to God. You have to see the word then. That word then unlocks, helps you see the relationship between verse 3 and verse 4. If verse 3 does not happen, verse 4 ain't coming. He cries out to God for light and truth to lead him and bring him back to the only place where the joy of all his joys can be found in God alone. And notice the exclamation point. The man is screaming. The man is crying. But this light and truth can only come from God's sending. It can only come from God's hand. It only comes from God's appointments. Notice the first two words in verse 3. Send out. He wants God to send them out. He knows the only way that he could ever be pulled out of this pit is for God to send out his light and his truth. His only hope is the hope of a sovereign joy. And by sovereign joy, I mean God is the only one who is able to restore his joy. Having his highest joy in God restored once again is the goal, but only God can do this. We have very little control, if any control at all, over the depressing dark blanket that smothers our hearts. So all we can do is cry out to the Lord, turn on the lights, give me living truth from your word. And the question I want to ask real quick before I continue is, why light and truth? Why not mercy and grace? Why not love and compassion? Why send out your light and your truth? Light, if we have light without truth, we might be deceived into grabbing for a solution from Satan disguised as an angel of light. You need the truth. You need the truth. It's the rock, it's stable, it's secure. It is the truth that sanctifies. It is the truth that sets free. But if we have truth without light, we can't see the truth for what it really is. So you may be in a particular season right now and you're, you're being faithful. You're seeking the Lord in the word and you're seeking the Lord in prayer and you're coming to Sunday gatherings and you're trying to, you're seeking the Lord and you're here, you're listening to the preacher preach the gospel. But you're like, I don't have any light. It's just, it's just blank words. It's just words on a page. It's just words that I'm saying in prayer. It's just words coming out of the preacher's mouth. I need light to see the truth for what it is. And this light is specifically referring to God's countenance, his face, his blessed smile to be felt. The psalmist wants to feel the light of God's warm smile upon him once again. And when God does this, joy can be restored once again. Listen to Psalm 4, 6 through 7. It should be up on the screen. You can see the relationship between the light of God's face and our joy being restored in its rightful place. Listen, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Light, face, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine 
abound. The psalmist, he feels rejected by God. He feels forsaken by God. He can very much identify with Christ on the cross who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he just wants God to turn his face back upon him once again so he can feel it. The light of God's face turned towards his people is what results in and produces this greater joy than what the world has when their grain and wine abound. But it's only when God sends out the light of his face in truth, in the truth, can verse 4 happen. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. But we know, do we not, this side of the cross, that the only true light of God's face is found in the light of the gospel, the face of Jesus Christ. It's remarkable how Paul the Apostle, he talks about how Satan is trying to prevent you from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. He does not want your heart to see. He does not want your heart to feel it. So he, try, he attempts to blind you, attack you, deceive you, direct your gaze away from all the things that will put Christ before you. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, listen to the similarities. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. It's talking about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. He's saying, that God, it was nothing. And God spoke, light came into existence out of darkness. That God, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If God if you're in here and you're going through a season, if God spoke light into existence, he can speak the light of the gospel into your heart today. I just asked Lord Jesus that he would do that for you now. Look to Christ in the Bible. Listen for Christ in the preaching of God's word. Be comforted with Christ through the encouragement of a friend and plead with Christ through prayer and song. And make sure you are not doing this alone. Depression is an incredibly lonely and isolating and all-consuming experience. And so to share and unveil your problem with someone else profoundly changes that. And so find a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Find a trusted counselor and if I were to put these, the solution into a practical step, you might say, step one, let someone know. Let a trusted friend or counselor know. Number two, persist in the habits of grace where the light and truth of God comes through. Persist in pursuing God in the scriptures. Persist in prayer. Persist in gathering on Sunday. Persist in getting together with the encouragement of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Persist in confessing your sins. Persist in these things. These are the channels through which the light and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ flow through to pull you out 
of the darkness that you're in. Verses 1 and 2 are like this dark dungeon, suffocating dungeon that he's in. Verse 4 is like the bright sea breeze first floor up above where he can breathe. And the light and truth of God are like the stairs that get him there. And so if you step away from the avenues of grace, you're stepping away from the only thing that can get you out of that condition to lead you to God who is your exceeding joy. And the last thing I would say, let someone know, persist in the habits of grace. And number three, wait on the Lord. I said light and truth break forth, not sound. <laughs> last one is wait on the Lord. Wait until it breaks through. And that's why I love verse five. It's a reality check. Verse five is the reality check. Listen to him in verse five. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalm doesn't necessarily end well. It just ends with him asking God a question. Or, I'm sorry, asking himself a question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The only difference is he does not listen to himself. He speaks to himself. You know that experience we've got that there's you and then there's you. And too many times we listen to this one. It condemns you, casts you down, speaks lies to you. All the things that you think, it says that is the truth. And this man turns to that person and says, I will tell you something. You will hope in God. You will praise God. I will not listen to you. I will look to Christ. His light, his truth will restore me. He will lead me to God, my exceeding joy. His confidence is not in the strength of his faith, but in God who holds him fast through the mustard seed of his faith that is left. And God can save a person who has a mustard seed of faith. That's all he needs. He's strong enough. He can hold that. Some of the most courageous and inspiring Christians are those who have, and some of you are probably in this room now, are the ones who are in this condition you're locked away in the darkness, and yet you continue to fight. You continue to get out of bed in the morning, hoping in God, pleading with God, holding fast to the promise that you will again praise him, your salvation, and your God. If you are here, I thank God for your courage. If you know someone else, you look them in the face and say, I thank God for your courage. You inspire me. If you are here, we're with you. We're for you. We will not leave you. We're here to help in every way that we can. And the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm done. Um, many of you probably know this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the greatest preachers in the church, is known as the Prince of Preachers. 
He was basically the, the inventor of the, of the megachurch. He was the first pastor that, that thousands would come to see in his church. And he is notorious for struggling with serious depression. And uh, he is addressing the question someone might pose to him, why am I going through this? And he presents to you a possible answer. Here's what he says. One Sunday morning, I preached from the text, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And though I did not say so, I was preaching my own experience. I heard my own chains clank while I tried to preach to my fellow prisoners in the dark. But I could not tell why I was brought into such an awful horror of darkness for which I condemned myself. On the following Monday evening, a man came to see me who had all the marks of despair and depression upon his face. His hair seemed to stand upright. His eyes were ready to come out from their sockets. He said to me after a little while, I never before in all my life heard any man speak who seemed to know my heart. My situation is a terrible case. But on Sunday morning, you painted me to the life and you preached as if you had been inside my own soul. And Spurgeon goes on to say, by God's grace, I saved that man from suicide and led him into gospel light and liberty. But, and this is huge, but I know I could not have done it had I, I could not have done it if I had not myself been confined into the dungeon in which he lay. I tell you the story, brothers and sisters, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience. And the perfect people may condemn you for having it. But what do they know of God's servants? You may be in Egyptian darkness. You may wonder why, you're, why such a horror chills the marrow of your bones. But you may be altogether in pursuit of your calling and led by the Spirit to a position of sympathy with desponding and despairing minds. I don't, I don't know why you're going through what you're going through if you're here. If Spurgeon had not gone through what he had gone through, he would not have been able to sympathize and speak to this man about his condition the way that he needed. And he spared the man's soul. He saved him from suicide. I'm not saying that you're going to have a similar experience, but it, it could be. It could be that God is preparing you. He's shaping you. So that you might be able to minister to others when they're going through the same season that you're in now. I end with Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the raw honesty of the psalm and that you, you put it in the Bible 
as an encouragement, as a mirror to some people here maybe. I ask, Lord, that you would send out your light and your truth. Shine your spiritual light upon our hearts that the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for us might not just be a mere statement, but power. And the light of your truth might flood our hearts and give us oxygen again to breathe in the air of heaven and create new longings for Jesus once again. I pray for despairing souls that you would encourage them and maybe give them courage to open up for the first time about their particular struggle. And that whoever they open up to, that we would give them the words to speak gospel light and gospel truth to lead them to you, their exceeding joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.